I hear the papers rustling, which means you all picked up your papers. That's good. Um, let me uh, have you take your Bibles tonight and turn to Second John. And we're going to start there this evening because as we've done with other of the world religions, we're going to deal particularly tonight with Islam and, and Islam's teaching and view on Jesus. I told you before as we looked at the different uh, faiths and different religions, you don't have to know everything about every religion. That would be an impossibility. Uh, but one of the crucial questions we always ask is, what do they believe about who Jesus is? Because the foundation of our faith is, is Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. And, and so it is crucial for every faith to have that, that proper uh, biblical teaching and truth when it comes to who Jesus is. So... John says it's so important that if the, if the if a group does not hold the proper doctrine of Christ, he actually calls them antichrist. So let's look at what John says here. Uh, John chapter, well, Second John chapter. There's only one chapter, so we're going to look at verses seven through eleven together. And here's what John writes for. He says, "For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist." Look to yourself that you do not lose those things which we have worked for, that we, that, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So when you look at this passage, what I want you to see in this passage is, the first of all, the crucial statement. It is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, as the Bible teaches it. And I want to remind you that the gospel, basically, just for clarification purposes, two, two parts to the gospel. The first part is who Jesus is. That's a crucial thing, to know who he is, who, who Jesus eternally is according to what the word of God said. The second part of the gospel is what Jesus has accomplished. And there are some groups, and we'll look at one in a, in a couple of weeks, that has who Jesus is correct, but they have the second portion of the gospel incorrect. They believe the same as who Jesus is, but they do not believe the same as to what Jesus has accomplished. The gospel is that full message of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, God who came in the flesh, the teaching of the Incarnation, and who became a, a, a man and lived his life as a man, a perfect life in obedience to his Father, who is in heaven, who willingly went to the cross and died upon that cross for our sins. The cross is, the cross is crucial. And Paul said the world hates it so much that they see it, our belief in it as foolishness. That you would believe such a thing that, that, that Christ would die on the cross. They cannot conceive that. But he died on the cross, he, and he was literally dead. And the Bible makes sure that he was literally dead by the, by the events of that day. And they buried him, and three days later he rose from the dead. That is, again, who he is and what he's accomplished in the nutshell. Okay, so John says that those who reject this gospel of Christ or this doctrine of Christ, doctrine simply means teaching concerning who Jesus Christ is and what he has done, he says they are antichrist. Doesn't call them the antichrist, he, he puts them in a, in a category, antichrist. Um, anti means two things, one or two things. It means against which certainly seems to fit here. But also, in every religious system that is Antichrist, they put their 
Christ in place of the Christ. The Antichrist who is coming, the Antichrist who is coming, will be one who, stand, who, who will stand in the place of Christ in many men's minds and hearts, and they will put their trust in him. So when you hear that term Antichrist, it means against, of course, but it also means in place of. And so as he talks about, about that, he says those who do not hold to this doctrine of Christ are Antichrist. And, you know, he really doesn't leave a whole lot of room there. You know, it's a pretty strong statement. It's a very strong statement. Let me put it that way. It's a very strong statement. It's a statement that a lot of Christians would, would refuse to make today for fear that they, they might offend somebody. Um, but we need to understand why he makes such a strong statement. Because it's a statement that actually touches eternity. Someone's eternal destination, their eternal, the eternal outcome of their soul rest upon this truth this doctrine of Christ and he warns as he begins that this, this little passage that there are many deceivers who have gone out into the world many deceivers they, their intent is to lead people astray from the true doctrine of Christ and Jesus warned us in the Gospel, in the gospel of Matthew as we come near the close, close to the end time that we need to be careful for many will come and they will be deceivers and they will say, well, the Christ is here and the Christ is there. And then he gives the warning, you do not listen to them. Uh, first of all, I would say to you, the church will know the instant Christ comes back. You're not, it's in the twinkling of an eye you're going to know that. And in the second coming of Christ, the world's going to know he's here. No one's going to have to proclaim it. The world's going to know that he's here. So, what does this have to do with Islam? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to talk about biblical doctrine of Jesus Christ and comparing it to what the Islamic holy book teaches. The quotes that I've given you tonight are from the book, the holy book of the, Quran, of the Islamic people, which is called the Quran. Okay, The breakdown of that book is what's called surahs. And you'll see the reference there. The surahs are the breakdown. So it's like when you a little bit different in the Bible in the sense that it's all called surahs, but it's all numbered. But it's the same way you would go to John chapter 1, verse whatever. The surahs, you do the same thing. The, the Quran was written in sort of different segments. And what, part of what they teach is that the later, the later the surah is, the more authority that it has. Now, you, I've given you some references here that, that we're not going to read tonight that tie in with some of the points that I'm, that I'm making with you tonight. You don't have to go buy a Koran to do this. You can actually go online. You can go to Yahoo or Google or whatever you want. And you can put Surah and then the numbers behind it and it will pop right up on your screen. Okay, everybody got that? So you don't have to go buy a Koran. You don't have to put any money into in that sense. But if you are the kind that likes to check out these things, which is a good thing, I encourage you. That's the best way to do it. Just go on there and you'll read. You'll read right from the Koran, the writing of the Koran and the surahs. Okay. So let's let's look at this tonight together and let's see what the Islamic people teach concerning Jesus. And this would, this would be a crucial teaching. Would you not agree? Now when you talk to an Islamic person, when we say the word Jesus, uh, the Hebrew would be closer to Yeshua. But to the Islamic or the Arabic people, the name is Isa. Okay? And it, it really is, again, a that's, that's more of a... Um, 
language thing than it is than it is a different name for him. Uh, it's right there at the top of your of your thing. No, it isn't. Yes, it is at the top of the island. Esau, I I S A. Okay, I S A. All right. So let's 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 look at some things tonight together. We begin by the teaching of Jesus, the Son of God, and, and you have an outline that I, I give you there, and some references that we that we have there. And so, what does the what does the Quran teach concerning Jesus being the Son of God? Well, Surah four one seventy one that you have right there. You can follow along. It should be on the screen with me, and we'll just read what it says. As though people of the Scripture do not exaggerate in in your religion nor utter aught concerning Allah, save the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was, was only a messenger of Allah. And his word which he conveyed unto Mary, and in a spirit form him, so believe in Allah and his messengers, and say not three, cease. It is better for you, Allah is only one God, Far is it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. His is all that is in heaven and all that is in the earth, and Allah is sufficient as defender. So basically we have that the the Quran, the Islamic faith, denies the identity of Jesus. Now in this passage you see that it, it denies the identity of Jesus in two ways that, 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 that we, we speak of. But I'm going to save the, one of those ways to the second point tonight. But the first point here is that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus professed to be the Son of God. Now, uh, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 and verse 18. And there are so many others we could look at, but I'm just giving you this reference. And here's what it says. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the what? Only begotten Son of God. John 3.16, which I know you're very familiar with, says that God gave his only begotten son. And we talked about that when we talked about the other faith. The word begotten means unlike any other. Uniquely, his son. We might be called the children of God because we've been adopted into the kingdom and the family of God. But Jesus is uniquely the son of God. And the Quran denies that Jesus is the Son of God. They deny that Allah has a Son at all. So when they speak about Jesus, they speak about Jesus as you read here in the Quran, as being merely a messenger or another messenger from God. And he's not even in the, in the Islamic faith the primary messenger from God. Because the primary messenger, remember last last. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, what, was, what was that? What was that word? That first statement? It started with an S. Do you remember it? I can't. I can't even pronounce it again. I have to read it. So I was, gonna, I was hoping one of you all remembered it. But it's their statement of faith, which is Allah alone is God, and Allah has one prophet, and his name is Muhammad. And you must, in the Islamic faith, you must believe both of those statements. In order to have salvation in the, as a Muslim. Okay? Shahada, yeah, Shahada. 
But yeah, By the way, if you ever look at the Saudi Arabian flag, you'll see you'll see Arabic at the bottom of the flag. That is the Shahada. That's on the on the Saudi Arabian flag. I bring that up because it's in in the uh, the Olympics. They do that kind of thing. They give you all that good information. Okay, so. How crucial is it to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And what does this do when, when an Islamic person would tell you as a Christian, Oh, we believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus just the same way that you believe in Jesus. And the point is, they do not. Their doctrine does not allow for them to believe in the same Jesus that you and I believe in. And here in John, Jesus in his own words said that, that those who do not believe in the name of the Son of God are what? Condemned already. Remember what he said earlier. He said, I didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. How is it through him that the world is saved? By believing in Jesus who is the unique and only Son of God. And a rejection of that is to is to reject who he is. And if you reject who he is, I guess the point would be, whether it be the Islamic faith or any other faith, you can't create Jesus in your own image. You can't create your own, your own Jesus and say, well, we still believe in Jesus. Jesus is who he is. He's not who we want him to be. He is who he is. And we always got to be careful of that, even sometimes in our own churches, that we don't try to make Jesus into our own image but we let Jesus be who he is and as we share the gospel with the world clearly I hope you can begin to see (coughs) excuse me the importance of being exact when you talk about Jesus today we've gone through several religious faiths together here on Sunday night including this one right here every one of them would not have any problem telling you that they believe in Jesus they wouldn't. Even here in the Quran, uh, they, they identify Jesus as Messiah. That's a kind of an incredible statement. And then they did deny that Jesus Christ is the unique and, and only Son of God. We live in that time when you have to be exact. You have to be, you have to be right on. What do you believe about Jesus? And this is not only true when it comes to these, uh, I think, some of these easily identifiable groups that, that deny or that teach a different Jesus. But I think even within some of the organized church, you have to be very exact about what you believe about Jesus. Because Jesus is this interesting creature in the mind of men. He, he's everything to everybody. He's whatever you want him to be. He's whatever you need him to be so you feel comfortable with basically who you are and whatever religious creed that you want to, to, uh, uh, to make for yourself. That's the way Jesus is seen by so many people. We see this in, even, in, even in secularism. When, secular, when the secularists uh, try to attack the Christian faith, they, they try to attack the Christian faith by using our own Savior. Well, you don't love like Jesus loves. You don't care like Jesus cares. I'm always wondering, how do they know how Jesus loves? How do they know how Jesus cares? Where did they get that information? A lot of it comes from what they desire Jesus to be. So they can live any life that they want to live and do anything that they want to live and be comfortable with that. And Jesus would never. Jesus is not like the church. Jesus would never say anything about it. Yet, they've never read Jesus. Got to be very careful. It is crucial according to Jesus' own word, that one believe that he is 
uniquely the Son of God. You can't deny who He is and then say you believe in Him. It's not that broad. The same Jesus talked about the way to salvation being a very narrow way. And that few there would be that find it. Not because it's unoffered. It's offered. God offers it. He's put it right out there. I mean, we have in this wonderful book. It's just that men want to reject the authority of God in their life. They don't want to have a God who tells them what's true. Men want to come up with their own truth and then tell God that's what he has to be and that's who he needs to be. And the same thing is true with Jesus. These are very troublesome times. Because the church, I think, in a lot of cases has lost its backbone when it comes to this. We're afraid to tell people we believe in the one and only Jesus. Because today it's a hateful statement in so many people's minds. And for you to tell people that the only way to salvation, the only way to hope for eternity is Jesus, makes you someone that's hateful. All you have to do is look at, look at the TV for the last 30 years and, and start with people like, some of you may not remember these guys, maybe you will, but start with people like Phil Donahue and Larry King and Oprah and go, I mean go right on down the line of all these people how many times have you seen if you, if you watch those things how many times have you seen that they, they want to get a Christian a biblical Christian pastor or leader evangelist on there and the question always comes to this do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation I remember when they our brother Jerry Falwell was on there and, and Donahue had him on there and Donahue had Jerry Farwell and they had Madeline Murray O'Hare on and I'm telling you Brother Jerry was a gentleman he was he was a southern gentleman and this lady was corrupt she was just vulgar if you can get some of the old tapes you look, it's, it's incredible hey, I, poor guy I don't think he ever, ever had to deal with somebody that was just that crude and stuff but the question again comes back again too is Jesus the only way to salvation? And he is. He is. And even if the church begins to deny that truth, it doesn't change the truth of it. But I want to say that if we lose that message, we don't have a message. We don't have a message and we don't have a mission. Because everything, everything rests upon that truth. Right? So... First, first thing I want you to see that Islam does is Islam clearly in its own holy writings denies that Jesus is the Son of God. That being the case, the next thing just makes sense, but we're going to look at it anyway. Because the next thing that we're going to look at is how, what do they do with the deity of Jesus Christ? What do they teach about the deity of Jesus Christ? And here's what it says, and this is in Surah 5116. And it says, And when Allah saith, O Jesus, Son of Mary, didst thou say unto mankind, Take me and my mother for two gods beside Allah. He said, Be glorified, it is not mine to utter that which I, I, had, I had no right. If I used to say, then thou knewest it, thou knowest... Boy, this is like old King James type. Thou knowest what is in my mind, and I know not what is in thy mind. Lo, thou only, thou art the knower of things hidden. So what is he saying here? You don't know. <laughs> Let me throw this out to you. That the Muslim people revere Mary very highly. Very highly. Okay, 
What we have here again is a distinction between Mary and, and Jesus. Jesus, the son of Mary, and Allah. Allah has no equal. There are not three. There, there are not, you know, when we talk about the, the Trinity, there is no Trinity in the Islamic faith. There is only Allah. It is a very strict monotheistic faith. Allah and Allah alone. Now, in the passage that I read up earlier, if that one's not clear enough, go back up to the one I read, I read earlier out of that surah, uh, surah and it talks about, um, uh, where it talks about you believe in Allah and His messengers, and say not what? Three. Again, a, a, a direct denial of the Trinity, which would be a denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. So now we come to this question. How important is it to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? Is it important? Is it, or is it just important to believe that he was a sinless man who lived his life and died for a sin? Well, what does the Bible say? Look at John chapter 1. I know you're very familiar with this passage. And starting with verse 1. And it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that's the Word, He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. And then it says this. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Now just, I want to ask you this. Who created that which is? Who did? God did. God did. Okay, now go down to verse 14. You won't see it up there, but verse 14 says this in the same chapter. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Another essential biblical doctrine. The Word who is eternal, the Word who was there in the beginning, the Word who is God... The Word who created everything that is and has been created. It's exactly what John says. Then he says, This Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now that statement in verse 14, again, speaks of the incarnation. That is God becoming flesh, but at the same time, in the fullness of who He was, glorifying, and, or that word means revealing, His Father. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the fact that he and the Father are one. One and the same. When he, stand, when he stood before the Sanhedrin and they asked him all these kind of questions, finally he said, you know, before Abraham ever was, I am. And they become very upset with him because they knew what he did. They called him a blasphemer after that. They tore their, their, their clothes and they called him a blasphemer because they, they said he has claimed to be God. It is a crucial biblical doctrine that Jesus is not a human being who became Messiah. He is God who came as a human being. And he came as Messiah. Everybody got that? He came as Messiah. He did not become Messiah. He came as Messiah. He was not a good man that God finally accepted because of the, of the, of the exceptional life that he lived. He came God, who took on the flesh of his own creation, and he dwelt among us. And then he willingly, as we said, went to the cross and he died upon that cross for us. It is important. It is crucial. I would say to you, everything in my being wants to say to you that the Yahweh of the Old Testament is Jesus the Son. Okay? 
Now, the Old Testament doesn't always make that distinction, but there's some verses in Isaiah which will, which will bear that out. It talks about the Father, it talks about the Son, and it actually talks about the Holy Spirit altogether. You go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and what's it talk about? It talks about a God in a, in a plural sense. The word that's used there is Elohim. Which El is a singular God and Elohim is a plural God. And when it talks about creation and when it talks about making man, it says we will make man in our image. In whose image? In the image of God. In a plurality of gods? No, we do not believe in a plurality of God. Hear, O Israel, our God is what? One God. We don't believe in a plurality of God. We're not polytheistic. We believe in one God. But we believe in that one God in a Trinitarian sense. And again, I always throw this out, that if you can fully explain that and understand that, then you're doing better than the theologians all down through history. Okay? But it is not polytheism. It is not a multitude of gods. It is one God. Right? So, but, but the Islamic faith rejects that Jesus is God. Allah alone is God. So you have rejection of Jesus being God, and you certainly have rejection of the Holy Spirit being God. There are not three to them. There is not a trinity to them. There is a complete rejection of that trinity. Now, if you deny the, the deity of Jesus Christ, you also must deny that God paid for your sins. Everybody understand that? The whole point of the incarnation, two things that happened there. That he came as a man so that what would happen? So that the sacrifice could happen. Who can kill God? Can God die? Does God have flesh and blood? And yet the Bible makes it clear without the shedding of blood there is no pardon, there is no forgiveness for sin. Thus we have the need for the incarnation. But the uniqueness of the incarnation is that he never ceased to be who he eternally is. He is the great I am. Who was, who is, and who will ever be. He is eternal. And he never gave up that identity even when he came as that baby in that Bethlehem manger. You say, wait a minute. He had to grow and he had to learn and he had to develop and all these kind of things. And I say, yeah, isn't that awesome? Okay, So, what's all that about? It speaks of the fullness of his humanity is what it speaks of. He didn't just appear poof out of nowhere. A mystical being out of nowhere. He was literally human. Fully human. And he experienced everything a human experiences except he never gave in to the temptation of sin. Nor was he born in sin the way that you and I are born in sin. So he's fully human, but he's also fully divine. And in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul teaches us a, 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 an understanding of this. And, and the Greek word there is kenosis, where he speaks of the, that, that Christ willingly emptying, emptying himself out. Of what? Not of his deity. He never ceased to be who he was. But of the prerogatives or the privileges of that deity. He willingly restrained himself in human flesh. How does an eternal God without limitations take on human flesh? And step into time. And age the way we age. And thirst and hunger. And hurt. And all those things that we do because we are human beings. Not because he ceased to be who he is. 
but because he set some of those prerogatives aside to walk as a human as a human being fully God fully man all at the same time it's an incredible thing of course we would say that only God can do only God can do something like that but do not be mistaken to deny Jesus Christ deity is to deny a crucial doctrine that, lead, that that's one of the basis of whether or not you're saved who can save Bible makes it clear only God can save who can die for another sin who can do it only the perfect sacrifice and every man according to the scripture save one was born into sin which it means at birth we were disqualified we were disqualified only God taking on his flesh of his own creation and coming could do that so when you look again at, at the doctrine of the Quran, the doctrine of the Muslim faith what again you see first of all you see the denial that Jesus is the unique son of God for the Muslims believe that God had, Allah has no sons. No son at all. The second thing that you see in their teaching is the denial of the deity of Christ. For they teach that Allah alone is God. He doesn't have any sons and there are not three. Allah alone is God. So we go on in, in, our, in our teaching about Jesus. And then this one may be kind of, you might say this is kind of superficial. But, but let's look at it anyway. And it has to do with Jesus' birth. Interesting. Uh, can, I tell, can I ask you a question? How many of you have looked at the Book of Mormon? Can anybody tell me where the Book of Mormon says that Jesus was born? In their own writings. Anybody have an idea? It's right there in print. They haven't even fixed this one. The Book of Mormon says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. Where does the Bible say Jesus would be born and where was he born? In Bethlehem. Got to tell you, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are not the same place. I've been to both of them. They're not the same place. And they're, they're pretty close to each other right now because of the growth of, of the modern city of Jerusalem and stuff. But in that day, they weren't. You're talking about a five-mile journey. It's not like, you know, I've heard some my Mormon friends say, well, uh, Jerusalem was sort of connected in like a suburb like Chandler and Tempe and Mesa and Phoenix and stuff like that. Uh, but it's not. Okay? So... Two, the Islamic people, their, their Quran teaches about the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And remember I said they revere, Jesus, they revere Mary very highly. And I want to say this, they revere Jesus highly as a prophet. But I want to say to you that that's an affront to who he is. It's a denial. As a matter of fact, John reminds us that that kind of denial is not, it's not just an okay thing to do. He says those who deny the doctrine of Christ are what? Antichrist. Two weeks ago I told you that, that Islamic faith is demonic in origin. And I believe that with my whole heart. And, but it's one of the fastest growing faiths in the world today. People are coming to it all over. And it's not, you know, some, some countries it's by force. But, you know, it, it's, it's interesting the, the Western mindset. And Europe's growing very quickly in the Muslim and Islamic faith. In America, there's a lot of people that are moving toward the Islamic faith also. So Jesus' birth, what does it say? Well, Islam says that Jesus was born under a palm tree, and at his birth, he actually talked to, to Mary, his mother. So let's Jesus' birth out of Surah 19, 22-24. So then she conceived him, and she withdrew with him to a place, and the pains of childbirth drove her under the, the trunk of a palm tree. She said, Oh, 
would that I have died here, this, and, and had been become a, a thing of naught, forgotten. Then one cried unto her from below her, saying, Grieveth not, thy Lord hath placed a... Uh, thank you. Beneath her. You knew I couldn't say that, didn't you? Okay. So who spoke to her? Well, in their teaching, actually, Jesus spoke at birth. It's an incredible thing. Now, some people would actually say, well, see, that proves they have a real high uh, view of Jesus. Again, the Bible makes it very clear about certain things. You say, well, it's not that big a deal when you deal with the birth of Jesus. Well, yeah, it is. Have you ever gone online and looked up your name? Have you ever done that? Anybody done that besides me? It's just something you do, just, you know. I've actually looked up Pastor Tony Pierce. And there are several Pastor Tony Pierces. There are. Not any as good looking as I am, but there are several that are out there. Okay? And, and you know what? There are several Tony Pierces. That scares you, right? A lot of Tony Pierces. So, well, which one is your pastor? There are things that, that make me who I am. Who my parents are. Where I was born, where I was raised, my experiences of life. And yet there are other people that are named Tony Pierce who, who have their own place of birth, their own experiences, their own parents and stuff. And, and you know, so which one is Tony Pierce? Well, the truth is both of them are. Both of them are. But in relation to you, both of them are not the same Tony Pierce. And what I want you to see here, whether we're talking about the Book of Mormon or we're talking about the Koran, a denial of even the birthplace of Jesus Christ distinguishes him as a different Jesus than the Bible teaches about. Jesus was a common name. Yeshua was a common name. The, the modern day name we get out of that in our, from our language would be Joshua. Okay? It's a common name. Uniquely the Son of God, as foretold by Micah the prophet, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And isn't it interesting, a little bit more interesting, how God worked everything around, got everything in line, that this gentleman and this young lady from Nazareth had to be in Bethlehem at that time. It just so happened that Jesus would be born there. I don't know how Micah saw that, except God showed him that. Okay? So, Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, and there's so many verses, again, you can talk on this, but I just want, and you're familiar with this, uh, it's not like I have to prove to you where Jesus was born, but I'm just going to read it so we have it in the tape. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she brought forth her firstborn, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Right? And previous to that, in verse 4, it says that so Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And it goes on to talk about how Jesus came born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid there in a the manger. It has nothing to do with what the Koran says. The Quran disqualifies, I mean, you say, that, again, people say, well, that's not the big. This disqualifies the Quran from being an authority in truth just by saying this. I mean, it'd be almost like saying, you know, I believe that Jesus was born in New York City. 
And we laugh at that and say, well, how can, you know, how can you buy into that? Well, there's no difference. If he's not born where the Bible says he's born, he can't be the Jesus that you're talking about. Alright, Jesus' purpose. Why did Jesus come? According to the Quran, in Surah chapter, uh, Surah chapter 2 and verse 136, it says, Say, O Muslims, we believe in Allah and that which is revealed unto us and that which was revealed unto Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and that which Moses and Jesus received and that which the prophets received from their Lord. We make no distinction between any of them and unto him we have surrendered and the him there is Allah but notice that one part we make no distinction between any of them I said I used this first while ago Jesus made a clear distinction he said before Abraham ever was I am okay so to the Islamic people the Muslim people there is no distinction in their view between those who are listed here in the Quran. If you'll notice here though, there's one name that's missing that you would think would be added into this. Because they do make a distinction about that one name. Look, look at the list here. What is the list? Abraham. Ishmael. Do you not find it just a little bit interesting that they include Isaac and Jacob in there? I do. Okay. Isaac and Jacob and the tribes. They include Moses. And they include Jesus. But if you were to, here's what you have to understand. If you were to think that they were talking about these men, be it Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the tribes, and Jesus, from the perspective of the Old Testament that you hold, you'd be, you'd be sadly mistaken. They don't believe them to be the people that the Bible says that they are. Uh, you have to understand that. They do not believe in what in the Jewish Bible. They would not accept your Old Testament. Okay, but whose name is, is missing from this group? Say that out loud. Muhammad's name is missing from this group. Why? Well, if they make no distinction from their prophets, why would his name be removed? Well, we answered that a couple weeks ago because his name is attached to their belief and, and, and tied into the, to their belief that they can have salvation. What is it? That Allah is one God and he has one prophet and his name is Muhammad. It can clearly be said that Muhammad is seen in a higher place in the, in the, in the Islamic faith than Jesus is seen. Tim. Who's the author of the Quran? Well, it's kind of convenient. Because he's the same man that we're talking about right now. Okay? Now, I told you this a couple weeks ago, and you have to keep this in mind. The Arab people were highly polytheistic people. Muhammad comes along, and he wasn't the first, but he's the one that, was, that had the power and, and, I guess, the charisma, all those things. And he says, no, we are not a people of many gods. And that's where we move to this monotheistic thing. Okay, he, he was bringing back the true faith. That the Jews had messed up. That the Christians had messed up. And yes, even that the Arab people and Arabic people had messed up. Right? But when you, when you look at this, you see that in their own teaching they make a distinction concerning Muhammad. 
But they attached Jesus along with every other prophet. Nothing distinct about Jesus. Nothing unique about Jesus. Again, it is a denial of the uniqueness of Christ. So, when we look at this, we look at, well, go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 15. And here's what he says. And by the way, this talks about his purpose that Jesus came. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, that speaks of his purpose. The reason he came. Jesus didn't come to be a prophet. Yet he is our prophet, of course. He's also our high priest. He's also our king. He fulfills all the Old Testament offices in that sense. But what did he come to do? He he said himself, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He said himself, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what he said. That's his purpose. His purpose wasn't merely to come and be a prophet or a teacher, or a miracle worker, leader of the disciples, he came to save. That was his purpose. That was his reason. And everything else we've talked about biblically that ties in with Jesus tonight is a part of that. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin in fulfillment of what the prophet said where and how he would be born. And he came uniquely to fulfill the purpose that he had for all mankind to be the Savior. And even from the beginning, before he, before he was actually born, what did the, what did the angel say uh, to, his, to his earthly parents? He says, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That's what he came. Even the angels proclaimed his purpose for coming. Okay? He's not like Moses. Let me just have you think about this. He's not like Moses. He's not like Elijah. He's not like anything. And I think the, the, the account of the Mount of Transfiguration, God speaks that clearly. Remember that, that occasion of the Mount of Transfiguration? And the three inner circles of the, of the disciples were there. And while they were there with Jesus, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus standing before them. Okay? And talk about the insight that the only the Holy Spirit can give. I guarantee you they weren't holding a Polaroid of what Moses looked like or a Polaroid of what Elijah looked like. But the Holy Spirit revealed to them, this is Moses and this is Elijah. They knew instantly who they were. And they were so overcome by it that they said, you know what, we need to, we need to build something for each one of these guys. And this is a great place to be and this is wonderful and all these things. And then the Bible says that God, God himself speaks from heaven. He speaks from heaven and he says this. And this, this is one of those things where, where God himself puts things in order. The preeminence of his son. Colossians chapter 1 speaks of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And God does it here where he says, he says, this is my son. This is my son. Which again, is contrary to Islamic faith, God says, this is my son. And then he says to those who are together, you listen to him. He's not just like the other prophets. He's not just a prophet. He is uniquely who the Bible says he is. He's the eternal God, the Son of God. Now let's look at the last thing. 
This goes a little bit more into the purpose for which Jesus came. And one of the, one of the foundational truths of our, of our faith. There are those who would deny that Jesus actually died that day. Have you ever heard the, the, what's called the swoon theory? That Jesus was kind of just overcome with everything that he had been through that day. And he just sort of passed out where he was near death. But it's an incredible thing. They took him down off the cross. They took him to the tomb. They put him in the tomb. And the coolness of the tomb revived him. And revived him so much that he was able to get up and move this big stone away. And walk out. Well, you need to understand that Islam denies that Jesus ever even died on the cross. If you can't see, even in that little statement, a distinction between our Christian faith and the Islamic faith. If you deny that Jesus died for your sins, how can you possibly be saved? This is, a, this is an outright denial is what I'm telling you. So, this is what Islam says in Surah chapter 4 verse 157. And because of their saying, we slew the Messiah, son of Mary, all his messenger. They slew him not, nor crucified him. But it appeared so unto them. And lo, those who disagree concerning it are in doubt thereof. They have no knowledge thereof, save pursuit of a conjecture. They slew him not for certain. They actually, some of, some of their teachers actually say that it was a phantom on the cross. It was not Jesus upon the cross. He did not die upon the cross. He never was sacrificed upon the cross. They do not believe that Jesus died. They believe that God assumed him into heaven. He never died. Okay? You say, well, okay, is that important? I I don't know why anybody would have to ask if that's important. If Jesus did not die for our sins, then we're still lost in our sins. If the price was not paid in full, then we have no hope. By the way... If there was no death, there could be no resurrection. If he never died, he certainly could not have risen from the dead. And so you want to carry it to that point. Paul says that if if there is no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. Our faith is futile. So, well, look with me in Matthew chapter 27. And again, I can take you to each one of the Gospels. But I just want you to see what the Bible makes this very clear. Matthew chapter 27, verse 35. It says, here's what is written. What's the first three words? They crucified him. They, and then they crucified him. And divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of by the prophet. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And as you read all of the accounts in the gospel, you, you, you see that it was, great care was taken to make sure you understand that they crucified Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was, was upon that cross. First of all, if the Romans crucified somebody, you can guarantee something, they were going to die. Okay. Second of all, it's clear that there was not a replacement person upon the cross, nor was it a phantom 
upon the cross. And then what you should be able to see is, is that the Muslim faith rejects biblical Christianity out of hand. And here's why. Because they reject Jesus. These five things are rejection of who Jesus is. They are rejection of what Jesus did. Now what does that mean? It means simply that someone who is a follower of Islam cannot know salvation. They cannot have salvation. So what's that mean to us? It means that one of the biggest mission fields that we have, one of the biggest places we have to share, and by the way, I said, I said to you that Islamic, the Islamic faith is one of the fastest growing faith, but there are a lot of missionaries in some Islamic countries, and God is moving and touching lives. Okay? And when they come to faith in, in those countries, it's more than what we have to do here. It's not just putting your name on a church roll. They could lose everything. Okay, We have faithful brothers and sisters in Islamic countries that, that are teaching biblical truth and sharing their faith. Someone has asked me one time, why do this? Why go through all these things? Because I think the church has become comfortable, and, and not to slam into these groups, but I think the church has become comfortable with saying, well, you can believe whatever you want to believe and you're okay. You're just as okay as we are. I've had people tell me that before. I've had people tell me that about some of these groups. You know? And then the next thing I usually hear from people is, you don't have any right to judge them. And I try to tell them, I'm not here to judge these people. We talked about this in our Sunday school class morning. It's not a matter of me judging. Their own words declare what they believe. We're not here to judge them. I mean, if Jesus, look what he says in John, Jesus didn't come here to condemn them. What did he come for? Okay, that through him they might be saved. So we're not here to judge, but we ought to deal in truth. And a rejection of Jesus Christ means eternal damnation. Because there is no salvation given by any other name other than the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? And it is crucial for any faith group to have a proper biblical understanding of Jesus. If not, that faith group and those who are listening to it and believing in that faith group are trusting in a Jesus who cannot save. And you can call him Jesus or Isa or Yeshua all day long. But if he's not the Jesus of the Bible and he's not the one who did what he did and you have not put your faith in him, you will spend eternity separated from God. But we have the good news that Jesus loved them and Jesus died for them. I think if we follow the Holy Spirit, He will lead us into people's lives from all different faith groups. And He will give us what we need in that hour to say what we need to say. And the Holy Spirit touches lives and changes hearts. But you as a church have to know, you have to know, that you can't just say, these people believe in Jesus. So they're okay. Because I guarantee if you ask them do they believe in Jesus, the answer that comes out of their mouth will be yes. I guarantee if you ask a Jehovah Witness, do they believe in Jesus, the answer will come out of their mouth is yes. A Mormon, the answer will be yes. The Buddhist, the Hindus, you ask them, the answer will be yes. Across the board, the answer will be yes. And yet they're lost because they don't believe in the Jesus that's found in the Word of God. And that's a distinction that you can't just 
pass away and say, well, as long as you believe in Jesus any way that you want, you'll be okay. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me tonight.